Let us hear from the Lord, from his word in Ecclesiastes 10, 5 through 20. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is said in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, when your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast in the proper time for strength, not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Amen. Amen, church. We'll go ahead and take a seat, everybody. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the passage just read, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And as you're doing that, just a quick word on baptism. I am so proud of the four that uh, made that testimony today. And, and I want you to know, too, that each of the individuals that got baptized today has been influenced by the work that you've done here at the church. So thanks for that. All four of those individuals have been influenced by Harvest Kids teachers and by others who have served. And, you know, it, it's such an amazing thing as a pastor to see us fulfill the Great Commission and do what Jesus told us to do, right? Right, church? Are y'all with me? Can I just say, keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep making disciples. Keep baptizing disciples. And Lord, we entrust that to you. You're the one that grows the church. So, Well, let's transition now to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're continuing our series now, uh, Vanity Fair, looking at Ecclesiastes 10, 5 through 20. And as we look at this passage this morning, one of the things you'll notice, and you probably noticed it as Paul was reading it, the key word, the key concept that comes through this whole chapter, Ecclesiastes 10, is fool or folly. That word, or actually a combination of different words, shows up nine different times in this chapter. 
And so even as we read that, you might be thinking to yourself, I don't want to be a fool, Pastor Tony. I don't either. I don't either. Now, I do need to say this. As you study the word for fool, there's a couple words that are used in the book of Proverbs to describe a fool. There's what's referred to as the kasil fool in Hebrew. And the kasil fool is differentiated in the book of Proverbs from what's called the pati, the simpleton or the immature person. So the kasil fool is that person who is willfully ignorant and willfully negligent of his or her duty to acquire wisdom. The petit is just uninformed, just immature. When your children are foolish and defiant, you correct them. They are petit. They're just immature and they need help. But when grown-ups misbehave, what do you do? Well, we all just suffer because of it. We let God discipline them. When they are grown up, they're concealed, they're foolish, and they make everyone around them suffer because of their foolishness. And what's even more insufferable is when the concealed fool starts to think that his or her way is better than everybody else's. So, for example, Proverbs 12, verse 15 says this. This is on the screen. The way of a fool, the way of a conceal is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. There's even a sense in which the fool revels in his foolishness. Proverbs 13, verse 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool, a casil, flaunts his folly. I heard a story once about a professor who was an expert in his field, in the field of uh, astrophysics. You know, I don't even know what that is. But he was teaching a group of students about, you know, astrophysics. And um, one of his students very pompously and presumptuously started telling him that he was wrong about a particular issue. An issue that the professor had spent his entire life learning and had written extensively on. And when the professor tried to correct the student, the student said, well, you've got your opinion. I've got my opinion. It's all the same. And the professor stopped that student and said, no. I've been studying this issue my whole life. I've been studying this issue longer than you've been alive. Our opinions are not the same. And this isn't just about frustrated professors. What I'm trying to get at here is that there is a kind of foolishness. There is a kind of fool who is wise in his own eyes and flaunts his own folly. And what happens over time is that foolishness becomes a kind of addiction. Self-determined truth and self-determined morality becomes a way of life. And this kind of foolishness begins to negatively affect the people around them. This is one of my favorite Proverbs. Speaking of the fool, this is Proverbs 17, verse 12. Solomon says, let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Here's the point of that. You ever met a she-bear robbed of her cubs? I haven't, and I don't plan to. No, I, and, and what Solomon is saying here is you'd be better off meeting that she-bear than a fool addicted to his folly. You'd, better, you'd be better off ripped to shreds by a bear than ripped to shreds by a fool. Is that hyperbole? Maybe. Now, in Ecclesiastes, let's, let's drill down a little bit more on our passage today. In Ecclesiastes, as opposed to Proverbs, Solomon isn't just going to convince you to go for wisdom instead of folly. He's a little more layered than that in Ecclesiastes. 
And he's going to convince you to go after wisdom and not folly, but he's also going to explain to you that you're going to encounter folly in this world. You are, so just get ready. And you need to be prepared to, to deal with what's unavoidable. Deal with it as best you can, and don't be shocked by it. Don't be distraught by it. Solomon, he's actually already taken you down this road. If you remember from verse 4 of our passage last week, Solomon said, if the anger of the fool rises against you, Sorry, the anger, anger of the ruler, but in context here, we're dealing with a foolish ruler. The anger of the ruler rises against you. Do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So the assumption here is that we're dealing with a foolish ruler who is out of control, who is angry. What do you do when you have a ruler, when you have a boss, when you have a powerful politician who is both angry and foolish? When you're stuck between a proverbial rock and a hard place, what do you do? Well, Solomon says you don't leave your place. You stand your ground. And with calmness, you lay great offenses to rest. You play it cool and you don't agitate or unsettle that angry ruler. And some of you might say, well, you know, what's a foolish, angry person doing in a position of authority? Can that happen in this world? Can that happen in our Genesis 3 world? Uh-huh. Mark Twain said once, suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress. But I repeat myself. Do foolish people sometimes take on positions of power? Yes, they do. Martin Luther said this. He says, just as dead flies ruin the best of ointments. Remember that image from last week in verse 1? Just as dead flies ruin the best of ointments, so it happens to the best of counsel in the state, in the Senate, or in war. Along comes some wicked rascal and ruins everything. The message today is entitled, Folly in All Its Form. And I want to give you this morning five instances of folly in our world, okay? Write these down, Harvest Decatur. Five instances of folly in our world. Here's the first. The first one is a leader who isn't deserving. A leader who isn't deserving. Solomon says in verse 5, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places. Sometimes fools get elected to high office. Can that happen in this world? Yes, it can. Sometimes fools get promoted at your office. Can that happen in this world? Yes, it can. Sometimes foolish laws and foolish policies get promoted in the government. Like the Equality Act that people are trying to ram through Congress right now. You know, like the other fill-in-the-blank spending plan where we as a country spend trillions of dollars that we don't have. That can happen in a country. Solomon continues in verse 6, Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. Now, don't be put off by that reference to a rich person here. Remember the principle of parallelism. Okay, we're dealing with parallelism. The rich person is being contrasted here with the fool in this antithetic parallelism. And 
the contrast here is not between the rich and the poor, but between the wise with resources and the fool without resources. And all things being equal, you would rather have somebody who is good with their resources leading the country than someone who's bad with their resources leading the country. That's what Solomon is saying here. Phil Riken says it this way in his commentary. He says, in a different context, the reversal might indicate triumph of justice. You know, the filthy rich are finally getting what they deserve. But that's not what's going on here. Here it means that people with financial resources do not have the power to use them for the public good, and that's bad. To reinforce that, look at verse 7. Solomon says, I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. According to Solomon, what he's addressing here is a a kind of topsy-turvy world where leaders are serving and servants are leading. And that's not a good thing for society. When that happens, that is an evil under the sun, according to verse 5. And, and before you accuse Solomon of some kind of class bias here, just do a little research on when governments are toppled and when the governors are removed and the undeserving people take over. That usually doesn't end well for that society. See Bolshevik Revolution circa 1917 in Russia. Not to depress you further, here's another place where folly shows itself in our world. Number two, a laborer who isn't skilled. So we have a a leader who isn't deserving. Now we have a laborer who isn't skilled. And Solomon, here's how Solomon describes it. He says in verse eight, he who digs a pit will fall into it. So you might say, well, if you work hard, bad might happen. So the solution is just don't work hard, right? Is that the moral of this story? No. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. You know, in Israel, I love these sayings, these kind of enigmatic sayings. You got to, you know, I heard someone describe proverbs like this as hard candy, that you got to kind of suck on and, and extract the sweetness. If you bite down too hard on it, you might break your teeth. So just, you know, you got to think about it. What's he saying here? Well, in Israel, there was something like 20 poisonous snakes. They were everywhere. And, you know, a great place for a snake to hide its nest is in a wall that has kind of started to, to uh, break down a little bit. You find a little hole in there. And so if you were somebody that was tasked with breaking down walls, if you were a mason that had to rebuild walls, then, I mean, this was an occupational hazard. Sometimes you get bit by snakes. It happens. You know, Indiana Jones could never do this. And if you hate snakes, don't be a mason in ancient Israel. And, and you might think, well, you know, just maybe nobody should be a mason. Old broken walls, let's just leave them down because there's snakes in there. Let's just not work. That's not an option, is it? Look at verse 9. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. This happens in our world. Sometimes when you work hard, you get hurt. Right? This, sometimes people get hurt. And so the solution can't be in a situation like that. Well, let's just not work. You know, sometimes with truck drivers... They get into accidents. They do. Does that mean people shouldn't drive trucks? Sometimes doctors contract diseases from being a doctor. Does that mean nobody should ever be a doctor? Sometimes pastors burn out and quit. 
Sometimes pastors get fired for incompetence. Does that mean nobody should ever be a pastor again? I'll tell you, the occupation with the most hazards, the most occupational hazards, you know what it is? It's parenting. Does that mean we should just quit having kids? Somebody's got good theology back there. No. I mean, what this is talking about here is not risk aversion, like live a safe, happy life where you don't do anything hard. This is not about risk aversion. This is about a risk assessment. How do you assess your risk? How do you increase your chances of success in this life? How do you... Let me say it this way. How do you work wisely instead of foolishly? That's what Solomon is getting at here. I heard a story this last week. Tommy Nelson was talking about how he had the storm come through his town when he was a teenager. And it was so bad that it, it ripped down the tree of the next door neighbor, this old lady. And she couldn't take care of this tree. So his mama said, Tommy, you get over there with the saw. You cut up that tree and then you give her all the firewood. So Tommy's like, yes, ma'am, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to take care of this old lady. So he gets over there and he's sawing up and he, he hits a knot. You ever done this with a saw? And all of a sudden the saw goes cattywampus and cuts his hand. And almost all the way to the vein, he almost lost his hand over this matter. And, and he still has a scar to prove it, you know, 50 years later. So the moral of that story is don't ever help little old ladies. Because <laughs> you could die. Is that the moral of the story? No, the, the moral of the story is learn how to cut wood properly so you don't cut yourself. Work smarter instead of harder. That's the moral of this story. And to drive that home, look at verse 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed, says Solomon. The idea is work smarter, not harder. You know, in ancient Israel, you would construct an axe. What you would do is you would take a piece of wood and you would form it in such a way that you could put an iron uh, on top of it, on top of the handle. And then you would use a rope to tie it all together. So, I mean, one of the occupational hazards if you go out there and you chop wood is that that axe handle is going to fly off and hurt you or hurt somebody else. It happens. In fact, there was a provision in ancient Israel. There were, there were six cities designated as safe cities, as harbor cities. That if you were involved in some involuntary manslaughter where you killed somebody accidentally, you could go safely and, you know, that the family of the person that died won't come after you and kill you. And so there was a provision for that. And one of the examples that's given in Deuteronomy 19 is the axe head flying off the handle and hitting somebody. This actually happened in ancient Israel. So what's the solution? Sharpen your axe. Sharpen your axe so you don't have to swing it so hard to cut down a tree and endanger yourself or somebody else. And you know what? The principles that we can derive from that are endless. Sharpen your axe. If you do drive a truck, don't drive crazy hours all the time and then fall asleep and kill somebody. Right? If you're a plumber, use the right tools, you know? If you need to use a pipe wrench, use a pipe wrench. If you need to use a basin wrench, use a basin wrench. I don't know the difference between those. But you should if you're a plumber. If you're a tax accountant, you got to stay up to date on what code is for, for taxes. I mean, somebody's got to do it. So, And if you're a parent, 
Don't do your kids' laundry for them. Make them do their own laundry. Work smarter, see, not harder. Y'all know that old adage is kind of similar to that. You know, catch a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for life. That's the way you should go about parenting with your kids. Teach them how to live. And, and look at the end of verse 10. This is where Solomon's kind of driving this whole section. He's saying, apply wisdom to your situation. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Wisdom helps one to succeed. Work smarter, not harder. And speaking of wisdom, apply wisdom sooner rather than later. Look at verse 7. <laughs> this is a funny one. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. And all God's people said, what? <laughs> sounds like something Confucius would say. What, what are we talking about here? If, a, if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. You know, in the ancient world, snake charming was an art. There, there was, I mean, it was entertainment because you would have to play and uh, a tune a certain way and you'd have to kind of sway back and forth to keep the serpent engaged so he doesn't bite you or bite somebody else. And, and they didn't have Disney Plus in the old world. They didn't have professional football. So you would go and you'd watch a snake charmer. And, and what Solomon is saying here is that snake charming is great before the snake bites, but it doesn't do you any good after the snake bites. Nobody's going to go and pay you to charm a snake if the snake bites them or bites you. Actually, they might pay you to watch the snake bite you. <laughs> but then you're dead and you can't use the money, so what's the point? So what he says is, charm the snake before it bites you. And the bigger thing that Solomon is saying here, and I, I think the application of this is endless as well, applies, apply wisdom in your life early, not late. Learn how to work smart early before you make a huge mistake and hurt yourself. What use is a snake charmer if the snake bites before it's charmed or if it bites the owner of the charmer? You know, we had just, let me flesh this out a little bit. Practically, we had four young people get baptized today. Four young people. And, you know, I love seeing young people <laughs> write out these testimonies and share what God has already shown them. And they're on such a great trajectory in life, aren't they? Some of y'all didn't learn this stuff until you were like 35. And you're like, man, I wish I could have done that at age 11, at age 15, at age 20. And so I just want to implore you, those of you who got baptized today, apply wisdom early in life. Apply it early. Charm the snake before it bites you. Learn God's word and apply it into your life before you get hurt by this world. I remember one time I was, I was in seminary, and you know I have a similar testimony to, to Annabelle and uh, the Allworth boys. You know, I, I got saved as a young person. I got raised in a Christian home, and I remember we were in this circle, and we were all sharing our testimony. I was kind of embarrassed by that, because all these guys around me had these amazing testimonies of coming out of drug addiction and, you know, all this sin in their background and how the Lord had saved them through it. And I was kind of like, ho-hum, well, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, and it's kind of boring. 
I was embarrassed by it. And I had this guy, I'll never forget this. This guy, he pulled me aside. And he said, Tony, don't you ever, ever be ashamed of your testimony. So if, I, if I could trade places with you, I would. And, and use your opportunity to testify to what your parents did in your life and what your church did in your life when you were young. Be proud of that. Celebrate that. That, that you got a chance. He didn't say this, but I'll put these words in his mouth. You got a chance to, to charm the snake before the snake bit you. And, and that's what I desire. And, and don't get me wrong here, young people. Pastor Tony has made his share of mistakes. He has. And I want you to do better than me. And I know your parents want you to do better than them. To apply God's word into your life and to, to be wise where we were foolish. And to go after that. You know, you, just to be crass here for a moment, forgive the extreme, but you don't have to smoke crack to know that smoking crack is bad. You can learn that before you do that. You don't have to sexually experiment with dozens of people to learn that that's not a good idea. You can learn that before you go and live a life like that. Don't listen to the world. They don't know what they're talking about. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. Charm the snake before it bites you. I know this is a sermon about folly in all its form, but secretly I'm trying to teach you wisdom in this message. Write this down as number three in your notes. Here's another instance of folly in our world. Thirdly, there's a talker who isn't self-controlled. A talker who isn't self-controlled. Don't point at anybody else in the congregation after this third point. Just take it in. Solomon says in verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. But the lips of a fool consume him. The ancient sage Plato he said once that wise men speak because they have something to say fools because they have to say something that's different and Solomon says something similar here but a little more consequentially he says the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor but the lips of a fool consume him literally the Hebrew says at the end of verse 12 the lips of a fool swallow him up so, I mean, just it's, it's absurd to make a point. Think of somebody's lips swallowing them up. And that would make for a great abstract painting if somebody wants to paint something like that. Look at verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. And the end of his talk is evil madness. So here's the progression. At first, it's just silly talk. At first, it's just fools spreading foolishness. And you're like, oh, yeah, that guy, he just talks crazy. But, but notice how that foolishness now gravitates to a kind of evil madness. You see that at the end of verse 13 there? Another way to translate this word madness is delusion. So, so here's the progression of fool's empty talk. May it first be silliness and harmlessness, but eventually it turns into destructive evil. You ever known somebody like that? You know, just talk, talk a little crazy and you're like, oh yeah, that's just them. And then all of a sudden... They're really, really destructive with their speech. And you thought this was just an innocent thing, and it's not. It's actually causing quite a bit of damage. Look at verse 14. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him 
what will be after him. The Jewish writer, Shalom Aleichem, he said, you can tell when a fool speaks because he grinds much and produces little. I think the idea here in verse 14 is that a fool is trying, he's trying to predict the future. He's trying to convince you with his many words that he knows what's going to happen, but he, he doesn't know nothing. Forgive my double negative. You know, I, I, when I see political pundits on Fox News or CNN, it's not really about who has the wisest counsel. It's more about who can shout down everybody else the most. It's more about who can sensationalize things the most. It's more about multiplying words. A fool multiplies words. Now, I'm not down on words. I realize the irony right now that I'm preaching words to you. Words can be used for good. Can't they? Who was encouraged by the words this morning of these four people that got baptized? And the goal here is not to just live a life of silence. Some of us can't do that even if we tried. It's to use our words for good and not evil. And, and by the way, incessant talk, typically in the Bible, is not, is not a positive thing. So listen up, extroverts. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when, men, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. You don't think that somebody who is a bad listener and just kind of gives you your opinion, his opinion before he listens, you don't think, well, that person is so smart, they don't even need to hear me before they know the answer. Nobody thinks that. You think that, that guy's rude. He's not even listening. Proverbs 16, 23 says, the heart of a wise man makes his speech judicious. And adds persuasiveness to his lips. David prayed this in Psalm 141, verse 3. He said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. I, I assume David was an extrovert. Because this is an extrovert's kind of prayer. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. David said in Psalm 19, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What about the New Testament, Pastor Tony? Well, the Apostle James says that no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Okay. Whew. James called the tongue a fire and a world of unrighteousness. Let's get really practical here. I don't want to just talk about foolish talk in the abstract. I want you to think about foolish talk in your homes. How much of that do you tolerate? Harvest Decatur. Paul Tripp said this in his book, War of Words. You can read this on the screen. Here are some tough questions for you. Listen to the talk that goes on in your home. How much of it is impatient and unkind? 
How often are words spoken out of selfishness and personal desire? How easily do outbursts of anger occur? How often do we bring up past wrongs? How do we fail to communicate hope? How do we fail to protect? How often do our words carry threats that we've had it and we're about to quit? Stop and listen and you will see how much we need to hold our talk to the standard of love and how often the truth we profess to speak has been distorted by our sin. Anybody feeling convicted right now? Thanks a lot, Paul Tripp. We need to guard our speech. And we need to use our speech for good and not evil. And we can do that, Harvest Decatur. Don't be defeatist or despairing. God has given you a tongue. God has given you lips. God has given you voices that can be raised in worship, that can testify to God's goodness. Use your mouth for good and not evil. And when you make mistakes along the way, confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, right? Write this down as number four in your notes. Here's another instance of folly in our world. A political advisor who isn't honorable. A political advisor who isn't honorable. Solomon writes in verse 16, Woe to you, O land, when your child is a king and your princes feast in the morning. You know, they should be working in the morning, not feasting. That's what that's talking about there. Verse 17, here's the opposite. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Now, there's a little bit, I think, of prophetic foreshadowing here because Solomon had a son named Rehoboam who was not a good king but he had a moment early on in his reign after Solomon died where the older advisors those who were faithful to Solomon in his cabinet came to Rehoboam and they tried to convince him as a young king they tried to convince him you know if you just relax your tax burden on the people if you just relax your authority a little bit then you will so ingratiate yourself with the people that they will love you. This would be a great way to establish your kingdom, young king. But Rehoboam had some other counselors. He had some younger, more impetuous counselors who told him to do the exact opposite. They told him to double down on taxation. They told him to double down on authority and authoritarianism. And Rehoboam trusted his younger counselors, and he spurned the advice of those older advisors and he promptly split his kingdom in two. He alienated himself from his people and split the kingdom in two. I don't know if Solomon was alluding to that some way here or prophesying the inevitable demise of his son's kingdom. The moral of the story is that you want leaders that put the interests of others ahead of their own. Those are the kinds of people you want leading families, the church, the state, the city, the country. You want leaders who work hard and feast at the proper time, not in the morning when they should be working. And you certainly don't want leaders who are spending their strength getting drunk. 
that is a sure sign of negligence. Here's how Dwayne Garrett says it in his commentary on Ecclesiastes. He says, if the king and his administrators view their power as an opportunity for self-indulgence, the nation is lost. If, however, the king and his administration are just and devoted to their duty, the nation is safe. We might contextualize it this way in our day. When Washington, D.C. views their power as an opportunity for self-indulgence, the nation is lost. If, however, the political leaders in D.C., in Springfield, in Decatur are devoted to their duty, the people are safe. As an extension of that, Solomon says this, look at verse 18. Through sloth, the roof, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. This sounds like the book of Proverbs. This sounds like one of the, the sloth statements that are, are replete throughout that book. You don't want to run your house with slothfulness. You certainly don't want people running your country by slothfulness. Because you don't want a leaky house, and you don't want a leaky country. You know, in, in Israel, they had flat roofs, unlike uh, us, you know, with our slanted roofs. And they would, they would cover over their roofs with lime. And, you know, if you didn't maintain your roof with fresh plaster frequently, the roof would crack. And then that would allow seepage. Rain would get down into your living quarters, and that's not good. Anybody who's owned a house knows that you got to maintain the house. An indolence will destroy a house. An indolence will destroy a country. That's what Solomon's getting at here, these young people who are feasting in the morning. Look at verse 19. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Don't quote that verse out of context. Bible says money's the answer for everything. Now, the context of this is that there's a time to work and there's a time to play. There's a time to celebrate and there's a time to bring home the bacon. There's a time to have fun and be jolly and there's a time to work hard and not be slothful. That's what this is getting at. I mentioned that commentary just a second ago, Dwayne Garrett. He says, he renders verse 19 this way. People prepare food for pleasure and wine makes life joyful, but money pays for both. He says, therefore, steps must be taken to ensure that the economy, both nationally and personally, is sound. Make sure you have the money before you party. Make sure that you're working hard before you rest and enjoy the fruit of your labor. That's, that's the idea here. If all you ever do is feast and party, then eventually you run out of money. Margaret Thatcher, y'all ever heard this before? She said the problem with socialism is that eventually you run out of other people's money. Well, that's what's going on here. Eventually, if you're just partying, you run out of your own money, you run out of other people's money. And you might say, well, here in our country, Pastor Tony, we just print money, so we're fine. Well, we have this thing called inflation. That's not great. You've got to know when to work. 
some of you, and I'm always contextualizing here at Harvest Decatur because some of y'all know how to work. I know some of y'all need to know how to rest. And it's okay to spend a little money sometimes, okay? And enjoy life if you've worked hard. And then finally, write this down as number five. Here's a final instance of folly in our world. A critic who isn't discerning, verse 20. Solomon says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. Now, just so we're not dealing with a nation that has freedom of speech, okay? So if you curse the king, if you're found cursing the king, your head is going to be on a rope. That's how they dealt with insurrection talk in this world. So just keep that in mind. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. Even if he's a fool, like what we saw earlier. Nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, and some winged creature will tell the matter. You ever heard that expression, you know, a little bird told me? Ever heard the expression, these walls have ears? Now, what Solomon is saying here is, don't get yourself into trouble with a loose tongue. In a world unlike our own, where free speech isn't valued, where free speech isn't an essential liberty, do we still have free speech in our country? I don't know. I'll tackle that some other time. Let me just say that in Solomon's world, you don't get away with criticizing the king. And so you better keep a tight watch on your tongue even if your king is a fool, because the walls have ears. And that's, a, that's an act of folly that could cause you to end up dead, being a critic who is undiscerning. So there you go, Harvest Decatur, five instances of folly in our world. Five examples. I think that if we're honest we're all susceptible to in one way or another, right? I mean, did anybody listen to the sermon this morning and say, you know, Pastor Tony, I'm good. Every time you spoke of wisdom, you were describing me in the flesh. Now, we all struggle with this, don't we? Charles Spurgeon said once that the doorstep to the temple of wisdom is knowledge of your own ignorance. The doorstep to the temple of wisdom is knowledge of your own ignorance. Let me say it this way. The doorstep to the temple of wisdom is knowledge of your own, can I say it? Folly. Your own foolishness. Some of you, even as I'm saying that right now, you might say, yes, 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 Pastor Tony. I am a fool sometimes. I've got a lot of foolishness in me. I've got a lot of foolishness in my rear view mirror, Pastor Tony. But it's not just in my rear view mirror. Sometimes it's in the morning mirror when I look myself in the face. I see folly there too. What do I do about that? How do I change that equation? How do I move from folly to wisdom? 
Well, Jesus said that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is wise. And conversely, everyone who rejects these words of mine is foolish. More than anything else, what makes you a fool is not listening to Jesus and doing what he says. And Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Y'all heard this before? And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Conversely, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. More than anything else, what makes you a fool is not listening to Jesus and doing what his word says, listen, Harvest Decatur, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. And the words of the great professor and philosopher, Mr. T, I pity the fool. <laughs> Y'all been waiting for me to say that all this sermon, haven't you? <laughs> don't be a fool. Build your life on wisdom Build your life on the word of God. Build your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his word. A word that is able to make you wise for salvation, according to Paul, 2 Timothy 3.15, build your life on those things. Put your faith in Christ. Obey his word. And then when the rain falls... And the winds blow, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. Pray with me. Lord, we testify this morning that we are all sinners saved by grace, we are all foolish. And Lord, there's still inside of us a sin nature, a propensity to folly. And Lord, we need these reminders again and again and again to build our lives on the rock, to build our lives on Christ Jesus, to build our lives on faith, to build our lives on the word of God. Thank you for the warning today from Ecclesiastes 10. Thank you for showing us in your word and also experientially the dangers of foolishness. Lord, we can do a lot of harm to ourselves, to our families with sinful indulgence of our flesh with a loose tongue, with unwise behavior.
And God, I know you want better for us. And I know, Lord, that you saved us not so that we can wallow in our sin and stay unchanged. You saved us, Lord, and you empowered us to change. And the Holy Spirit inside of us is there to to help us to live wise, unfoolish lives that please you. Help us in that, Lord. And Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you for the saints that are gathered here. We can help each other in that process. We don't have to do it alone. Thank you for the small groups that are going to gather this week and talk about how to help one another be wise. Holy Spirit, move, I pray, in those conversations. Move in those conversations today as families meet and talk about their speech in ways maybe their tongues are being used for evil instead of good. Lord, bring conviction and repentance and change where it's needed. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.